we're in James chapter 3, and uh, did I say that was it? Well, they're passing out that. I'm going to read one of the comments from the article, because it ties in with the message, so it, it fits. James chapter 3, if you need a Bible, they'll hand you one. James chapter 3, it's after the book of Hebrews, which is, I jokingly said, we, if we ever had a coffee shop, we'd name it that. Get it? It's kind of Hebrews. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> All right. Um, so the article came out in the paper, and this was comment number 59. And I don't know if it was somebody in our congregation, but it is a public school teacher, and I was deeply blessed by it. It ties in with the message this morning. So let me read it to you. It was a comment at the end of the article in the Ventura County Star. This writer says, In my opinion, it sounds to me that when this church took over the school, they could have released these teachers at the very start, but chose to do the right thing in keeping them on to ease the transition, knowing that uh, they would have to eventually sign the Declaration of Faith, which is absolutely true. Basically, it sounds as though the church gave them a generous couple of years to decide on which course of action was best for them. From my understanding, a lot of private institutions do not have a tenure track system like that of, a, of public education, and they hire teachers on a year-to-year contract. Now, if they did not meet the requirements set forth by the private institution for profit or not profit, um, well, that employer has the right not to renew that contract. Now, if you know a Christian church is taking over this institution and would be requiring this, and you do not agree with this requirement, Uh, you have the option to follow policy or seek employment elsewhere, and the institution does not have to rehire you. Sadly, it sounds as though these teachers had this lawsuit planned from the beginning when this Christian church took over. I don't know that. Which ultimately upset them and were waiting for the right time to cash in. Why else would they ask for $150,000 apiece? That seems very extreme. This sounds like an unwanted attack on a Christian school. My prayer will be with both sides. I pray that both women can find it in their hearts to move forward and find employment elsewhere, and that they do. And I pray that Calvary Chapel continues its Christian-based educational goals, providing the love of Christ within the hearts of their students. Lastly, I pray that God continues to work through our government and legal system to provide the outcome He desires. As a public school teacher, it is hard enough knowing that Christ has been kicked out of our classrooms when it was His Holy Spirit that guided men to establish education for all in this country. As people continue to attack Him, He continues to love each and every one of us. May God continue to watch over every aspect of our educational system in this country. That was a great letter. Now that being said, that brings us to the book of James. And we're going to talk about heavenly wisdom and demonic wisdom, which James discusses. And uh, so we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. Would you stand? We're in James chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading out loud in verse 13. You can follow along silently. The passage reads, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show, everyone say show. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That'll be our passage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, as we come to take a look at these two types of wisdom, heavenly and demonic, 
and to contrast them and to see what it is you want us to know. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our understanding, that we would show by our good conduct that what we do is in the meekness of wisdom, that, Lord, we want to be wise in the things of God. And we want to, Lord, be naive in a sense to the things of this world. We want to walk in purity. And so, God, I pray that you would bless us through this study and give us insight. Lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. Wisdom and knowledge, two totally different things. Wisdom is not just the accumulation of knowledge. You see, knowledge, knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, but wisdom is the God-given ability to apply the right kind of knowledge to each situation. Godly wisdom is, is doing the right thing with the knowledge you've received. Becoming knowledgeable means you become responsible, and, and, and that means that you need to do with wisdom that which pleases the Lord. So the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge for the glory of God and to do what is right. Wisdom comes from the Bible. Knowledge comes from below the scriptures in a sense. Wisdom comes from above. The idea is this. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord, it says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That you, you, you won't have wisdom until you have a relationship with the Lord. You won't have wisdom until you have a fear of God. And when I say a fear of God, not a frightening fear of God, but a respect of God, like we would have for uh, a high-ranking official or the respect we would have had for our fathers if we had a good father or the respect we have for our mothers if we had good, good moms. And so that's the picture that we see here that James is contrasting between heavenly wisdom and worldly or earthly demonic wisdom. And, and I was thinking about this idea that knowledge and education have not proven to be answers to our fundamental problems of humanity. You know, you, you think about this idea, and I love this example, um, that, that farmers today can produce a hundred times more food than in the 19th century, yet we still have star starvation around the world. Uh, this idea that in 2003, all of the knowledge accumulated, all the printed material accumulated up to 2003 every year is doubled. It's exponential and what we're able to have access to at our fingertips. I mean, you look at everyone's carrying an iPhone, and, and the minute you have a question, you can pop it up on the screen, and you can get the answer to that question. You can search the greatest libraries of the world at your fingertips, and all this is accessible to us, but we haven't seen to uh, dissolve crime or, or, or murder or immorality or suicide or drug use. Uh, it, it's increasing with the, the amount of knowledge that's increasing. We have knowledge, but we have no wisdom. The, the world's getting worse. We're, we're at nuclear pr proliferation. We, we're wondering what's going to happen if Israel you know, attacks Iran. We're wondering what's going to happen if, if this uh, nuclear test in North Korea is successful and the missile that they've launched. And we're wondering about the stability in the Middle East after the Arab Spring and, and all these things. Nothing is improving with the accumulation of, of all this knowledge. Knowledge doesn't save us just makes us smarter criminals. When we remove God from the equation, we're just making smarter criminals. That's why I acknowledge the public school teachers because they're, they are given this, this directive that they must remove God from the equation in many respects. And, and they're navigating these waters instead of leaving a vacuum. They're, they're doing their best to present Christ to these schools and to these students. 
in an environment that is the antithesis of that, but yet the scripture demands that we honor those in positions of authority. When, when Paul said that we're to be subject to those in authority, he knew that that Roman government and the taxes being paid were going to persecute Christians. He knew that. Yet he still declared that we are to honor those. And what we're lacking in our culture today is not the, the absence of knowledge. We're lacking true wisdom. We've removed God from the equation. Wisdom is the principal thing. It says in Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13 through 17, it says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for, uh, from her proceed, uh, pro for her proceeds are better than profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways uh, are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. But we know in verse 15 of this passage that there's two kinds of wisdom, because when we contrast the two types of wisdom, there's, there's, there's one, first of all, that's wisdom from above, that's from God, but then there's a second wisdom that is demonic, and it's from a worldly or natural position. In 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, there is a wisdom of this world. Now you think, wait, wisdom of this world and then wisdom of God, and there's two different wisdoms? Yes. That's what James is doing. He's contrasting two types of wisdom, and he gives us a test or a litmus test how to, how to see what wisdom we operate under. And he gives us this test that, that we would be able to see how we operate. So he begins with verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? You think, you're, you think you're wise, you think you're smart. He's not saying who out there has a PhD, who out there has a, an, an MD, who out there has a doctor of jurisprudence, who out there has a master's degree. That's not what he's saying. He says who out there is wise. The letters behind your name doesn't make you wise. doesn't make you wise. Some of the most educated people in the world are idiots. I think of Peter Singer at Princeton. That man is a fool. An absolute fool. He advocates that, that, that there should be selective uh, death of children even after being born. If, they, if, if you need to harvest the organs of one child for the sake of a child that has more potential, you should have the right to... He, he's overseeing Princeton, which was established to make pastors. And in all this knowledge, this is what we put on the seat of ethics at what used to be a, a, a noble institution. And now it's an institution that develops death. And ways to approach death. That's demonic. It's awful. And the Hebrew definition of wisdom is, is to skillfully apply knowledge to practical living. And, the, and this idea of testing the two types and to see where we sit in amongst these. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. Good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. Well, let me just say this. If you are operating in the fear of God and you have godly wisdom that's from above. Here's the first test. You're active in the body of Christ. You show, and everyone repeated that, suckers. Everybody repeated that. You show by what? Good conduct. Don't, don't tell me you're a Christian. Show me. That's why he says faith without works is dead. James knows what he's talking about. Show me this wisdom by your good conduct, that your works are done. And I love this, that your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. We love everyone to say, yes, I am a servant in the body of Christ par excellence. I am one of the finest. I work my tail off. You can see me everywhere. I run, and, and I, I'm very busy. And matter of fact, you can see me when I breathe heavily in exha exhaustion, when uh, there's so much responsibility leveled on me. And I, 
I even know how to sigh in a godly manner so that you can see the burden that I carry in this service of God's great kingdom as he has chosen me, his humble servant, <laughs> to help in any way I can. That is, not, that is not the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is strength under control. It's a bit in a horse's mouth. We've covered this. Jesus says, it's the only autobiographical statement that Jesus ever said of himself. He said, take and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. He didn't come in and, and step into the world and go, <laughs> you think the Fantastic Four? It's one, me, baby. And you're out of line, <laughs> done. Everybody line up, because I'm going to scorch you. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He had all of the Godhead power consumed in one man. He could look at you. Melt you. The Bible says all things are held together by the word of his power. He would just speak it and every atom in your body would dissipate. Boom. Done. Wow. How does he come to the earth? As a baby. As a baby in a man. The first words that the God-man ever spoke were the cries of a baby. That's meekness. Strength under control. He would permit himself to be held in the hands of an earthly mother. Changed by an earthly father. And crucified by man. He humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. Though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant, unto death, even death on a cross. Because he knew that the worst that mankind could offer, he had to endure. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him, you and me, that we would be saved. That's wisdom from above. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. He laid his life down. He wasn't on the cross going, how dare you do this to God? You don't spit on God. That is so unjust. You don't tie me to a post and whip my back like hamburger meat. I'm God. You don't smack me with a bag over my head and say, prophesy who hit you. You don't strip me naked. I'm God. I have rights. No. He didn't do that. He humbled himself in meekness, strength under control. That he would deliver you and me. You see, that's godly wisdom. But you contrast that with the world's wisdom. He who dies with the most toys wins. Look out for number one because no one else is. It's all about me. We started with People magazine. Then it became us and then me. He says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't. Don't boast. You're lying against the truth. This idea of bitter envy and self-seeking 
Check your motives to see if you're operating in godly wisdom. If it's about you, it's not from the Lord. God has one remedy for you and for me, and that's the cross. All he wants for you and for me is death. We die, he lives. If it's about you getting what you want apart from God's word, it has nothing to do with the cross, and thus it is not heavenly wisdom. It is demonic and earthly. It's bitter and self-seeking, and it's envious of what someone else has. Are you doing what you're doing to compete with the person next door, buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't know? That is demonic. It's demonic. It's not from heaven. Are you trying to look some certain way or do some certain things to keep up with the Joneses? That's demonic. I was thinking about this whole lawsuit. I, I, I can understand if they were hurt and they'd worked at a place for a number of years. Come and talk to me. But to ask for $150,000 each, you know what that's going to do? It'll tank the school. We'll shut the doors. A, a school that's been around for 30 years. And it's almost like, well, it doesn't matter. I want my money. Is that other-centered or self-seeking? I've been wronged. I have rights. I got news for you. The last thing I wanted to be was a headmaster. I don't even have a master's degree to be called a headmaster. I was the worst student in high school. I would have given Lou Lichtel hell. I didn't even enjoy reading till I became, you know, a, 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 a devout follower of Jesus in college. I never even did a term paper until I was in college. Serious. I had someone else write it. I have to confess. Can you scratch it from the tape? Because I'll never be able to run for politics. <laughs> I'm not going to, by the way. I, I was an awful student. And, and this, this idea, you know why we bought the school? We bought the school because we wanted to make disciples. We wanted to equip our junior high and our high school public school systems with the best equipped kids to make a difference with the student body and to be a blessing to the teachers and to change this community in a positive way. That's why we didn't want to go with junior high and high school. We're just going to go all the way up to the sixth grade. Right now we're at fifth and we need to film more, but that's what we want to do. And by the time that they've gone through, they're going to have grammar, rhetoric, and, and logic. And when they get in, they're going to be the best students, and they're going to get all the accolades, and, and people are going to be going, what's going on in Newberry Park and Thousand Oaks? That's why we did it. But the minute we wanted to put together this trivia, and we wanted to put together this classical education, that's when all hell broke loose. And I, and I look at this, and I think, it's, it would just be easier. This is, this is true. It would just be easier, and Denny and I were talking about this, it would be easier just to make it a preschool. We'll just do it a babysitting service. Just make it a preschool. Because we can, we can pack the place. Everybody wants a preschool. Everybody wants a preschool. And we, we literally, we can pack it. Amgen will give us money just to put the kids on the waiting list for a preschool. That's not what we wanted. We have a preschool, but we want an elementary school. We want to equip disciples. And we turned to each other and said, well, the, the elementary school is not profitable. The preschool is. If we just get rid of the elementary school, we can make a profit. No. Well, that's not why we entered into this. And I was thinking, I don't even need the headache. I, I don't want to write out a timeline and, and, and sit down and, 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 you know, have them interview me for the... I don't want to do that. I got five kids and a wife. I don't want a lawsuit. It's easier just to scrap it. 
Why fight for a vision of that? Why equip kids? Why give a place where people can have their kids educated in a classical education? Why bother? Because it's what God wants. It's what God wants. So, we do that at great expense. At great expense. And look what Peaches, or Miss Jacoby goes through. And, and the hours she puts in, the hours our teachers put in, they could easily get a, a, a higher salary and, and secure background with public education. But they're committed to this. It's a ministry to them. We're, we're serving a community. But then I think of two teachers and contrast that wisdom. Well, I don't care what you think you're doing. I want my money. That's the contrast between the two. One is good conduct done in meekness of wisdom. The other is bitter envy and self-seeking. And when we do that, we just have to tell the truth. We're not doing this for God. We're doing it for me. Don't lie. Tell the truth. It is. It's about me. Apply that to your relationships in life. Are you angry at your spouse or your neighbor or your coworker or your teacher or your students because they've wronged you? I can tell you, I, I'm, I'm not angry at either of these women. I really would just say, uh, you know, and, and the last conversation I had with, with Linda was sweet. I, I thought everything was good. I think she's a neat lady. But I would say this to you. Why are you fighting in your house? Why are you upset with your neighbors? Is it because you've been wronged? Is that self-seeking? Are you bitter? Are you envious of something and, and you're taking it out on someone else? The Bible says, let's recognize something. That's not God and you're not operating in godly wisdom. That's earthly and demonic. See, he goes on to describe it. He says, this wisdom does not descend from above. If it's about you, it's not from God. It doesn't descend from above. It's earthly, sensual, ready, sensual, ready, and demonic. Ooh. Well, hang on a second. The greatest trick that Satan's perpetrated is to convince people he doesn't exist. He does. And I'll tell you where he does his greatest work is in our relationships. This is the only religion in the world that commands its followers to love one another. Husbands, love your wives. Love one another as I have loved you. It doesn't say, husbands, tell your wife you love them. That's worthless. It says love them. That's action. Your wisdom is by your good conduct. Love them. Love each other. Don't tell people, hey, I love you, bro. Stow it. I mean, I don't mind you telling me that, but show me. Some of you guys are going, well, you do that too. <laughs> Amen. I do. But we don't want to be demonic. We don't want to operate in this earthly, sensual, demonic realm. He says, verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion and every evil thing are there. I'll tell you how you can make it so demonically evil. 
Here's how you can screw up your family and your neighborhood and your school and your workplace and more importantly, your church. Here's how you do it. Make it about you. Self-seeking. And not only that, be irritated because somebody else is in the pulpit instead of you. Be irritated because somebody got your parking space out there and you had to walk from Lavery. Be irritated because somebody has jewelry on that you can't afford. Really, make it about you. Be irritated because they don't play the kind of music you like. Be irritated because whatever, and I, it, it's perfect because right there, with your envy and self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing will, will present itself. Confusion. The Bible says God is not a God of confusion, but of order. And who is the author of confusion? The Bible says Satan. And when it gets really confusing and weird, and you're in the middle of it, stop and say, it's me. (laughs) My bad. I got to finish up here. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. You know what that means? Ivory soap. 99.997% pure, or something like that. It's pure. Your motives are pure. And how do we know it's pure? It's all about God. His word is pure, it's all about Him. So, wisdom from above is first pure, and then it's peaceable. The Bible says, as it's possible, would you live at peace with all men? As it's possible, would you live at peace with all men? Blessed are the peacemakers. Right? And the idea is, peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace is the presence of the Lord in the midst of the conflict. Present Christ everywhere you go. Some people will war against Him regardless, but stand that. When it says gentle and willing to yield, gentle and willing to yield, Here's a really good way to heal your home and your marriage. I'm going to give you three phrases. Practice them. Stand in front of the mirror and practice these. Ready? I am wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Let's see if we can do that together. I was wrong. Let's try that. Some of you are going to go, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was I can't do it. I have to go to the restroom. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Doesn't that feel good? I don't know about you. I just think that feels great. I am wrong. And get, get, Granny, you say it, and I got news for you. It's true. I don't even care what it is. It's true. You're going, what about them? Clean up your side of the street. As it's possible, would you live at peace with all men? Clean up your side of the street. Uh, theirs is theirs. My, my mom was so good at that. Mom, I'm sorry. Ah, good, you should have been. <laughs> and you are happy that you said you're sorry. <laughs> die, 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 die. Me, die. 
But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, willing to yield. You know, it was, it was, it was Abraham said, Lot, look, you go this way, I'll go that way. You go that way, I'll go this way. Have it. I got news for you. They can have the school. They can have the church. They can have it all. God has just told us that this is important to him. Stand. I would love to resolve otherwise. I don't want any money from you. And this is the idea, willing to yield and then full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Everybody wants mercy when they've done wrong. Amen? But we want justice when we've been wronged. God says, you don't get mercy unless you're merciful. So when someone wrongs you, be merciful. And if you're having a problem being merciful, let's ask this question. What do you want from God? Judgment or mercy? We know the answer is mercy. And you want it, you need to give it. And so this wisdom from, from the Lord is full of mercy and good fruits. What are fruits? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's good fruits. There's no partiality, no hypocrisy. You don't do it with people you know can do something for you. Well, I'll show them that I'm a very humble and meek person because I realize that they've got quite a bit of wealth and maybe I could probably get a job with them if they can see my character is so stupendous. And then some person comes in that can't do squat for you. You go, oh, go sit down. I'm busy. Don't you take my time with this very important person. You are two-faced and you're a hypocrite. And it's a gimmick. And that is not from the Lord. Verse 18, finally, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. But the reality is this. He doesn't give peace as the world gives peace. His peace is his presence in the midst of the conflict. And the idea is to always represent the Lord with godly wisdom. It's peaceable, willing to yield, full of mercy. It's meekness under control. Test this week to see where you reside. Is your wisdom earthly and demonic? Is it self-seeking and all about you? Or is it humble? Show that by your good conduct. Let's not be liars. Let's be livers of Christ. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the embodiment of that word. Lord, we know that selfish ambition tends to create rivalry and conflict. But God, you have called us to have heavenly wisdom that yields. That it's this picture in a person's life of good conduct. And that we would apply the test of this passage to our own lives. That we would see if, if, if we are in the faith that there is good conduct. That our lives are beautiful and noble. And that what we stand upon reflects you. So, God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for this test. And, Lord, thank you for Little Oaks. Thank you for the CPC. Thank you for our public school teachers. Lord, thank you for the great gift of this fellowship that recognizes the blessing in all of those things. Bless these men and women that they would serve you. Heal their relationships. And, God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. We usually close with a song, but it's 10.33 and I've gone over. Actually,